This week, we're back with a breakdown of the season's third straight three-day weekend, this time in Bidostol in Norway, where Devin was on scene again. He's joined this week by Olympic gold medalist Keegan Randall from Anchorage, Alaska. I was out of commission at a ski cabin. They'll get straight to the good stuff in a second here. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium Skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. Great to see you, Keegan. Wow, great conditions in your living room. Unreal. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but I, I, <laughs> jokes, Zoom backgrounds aside, I, I have seen that Alaska has been getting pounded with snow and has had a wonderful start to the season. Yeah, we were fortunate that we had early snow right at the end of October uh, that put down enough base to start skiing. And then we had a little warm up, uh, but the base held in there and we got hard on the snowmaking about a about a week and a half ago and we were all set. And then we got two feet of snow or awesome. 60 centimeters for those of you in the metric world. Yeah, well, you can't I mean, you can't beat that. So that's uh, you definitely can't beat that. That's a great start. I hope it's not as cold as it is here in Norway. I'm not used to this anymore, but I don't know. <laughs> Anchorage is close to the coast, so it can't be that cold. We we dipped down below zero yesterday. Oh my gosh! Um, but that we're, is we're, super but cold. we're coming right back up. Okay, nice. Okay, sweet. Well, I'm getting text jammed up by um, Nat, who can't be with us because he actually—I don't know what he's doing today, but and tomorrow he's in some sort of courtroom following some hardcore Alaskan political action. So it's just going to be you and I, and I'm a little tired. I'm not going to lie. I was working in Vitastolen this weekend and actually just blazed back into the door of this mini pad here in Oslo before my week of school next week. So the listeners might feel like I'm a little more subdued than normal. Also, I think we usually have about like 15, 16 listeners, and maybe we have like 26 now and seven or eight of them have said, Devin, shut up. When you have good guests like Alex or um, uh, it was about Alex, but just like shut up and let a legend talk. No one wants to hear your like washed up antics go on and on. So I'm definitely going to let you do more of the talking. And I guess we should just get into it because you are for people that don't know who Keegan Randall is. Uh, that would shock me. So you can Google her, but she's a total legend and a pioneer of the US ski team. I feel like I do this, this every time, but Anyway, world champion, Olympic champion, wonderful person, won the sprint globe multiple times, has too many podiums for me to count off the top of my head right now, but really, really thrilled to have you talk, um, talk through the races and bite a stone. I thought it actually was pretty fun. So if we could start with the women's race, um, but we'll start, we'll just do it like systematically because we're a little short on time this week. Um, and let's start with the women's sprint on Friday. Uh, I, I thought it was a thrill. I thought it was a thriller. I mean, I, I loved it. What, what were you seeing out there? I loved that the conditions really set up for, uh, an all out classic striding sprint. 
Uh, that course had a little element of everything. And with the cold conditions, it looked like, you know, the skis were all fairly even in there. Um, and so I thought it was cool to see some different names up front. Um, you know, we had, we've had a couple of weekends, two sprints under, uh, under the belt already, but, um, no, I agree. In, I think some really fun in the final. I think me. for me to see Nadine Fendrick of, of, of Switzerland win, what was thrilling, but more important than that, like the way she was skiing in classic, I mean, she has one win before in her career and that was in skating and it was in Dresden, which suits a power skier like herself really, really well. It's flat. It's not a lot of real estate and, and she's really powerful. So she just takes the lead. It's really hard to get around her and only eight, 900 meters, like, like in Dresden. But, uh, I thought in classic, she was skiing beautifully. And like Lada in the swing, I, I was really moved. Her sister has been the surprise of the season for me. She can do no wrong. And then to see Lata get her first world cup podium was awesome. Matantalo is so good for the, for the Finnish squad to, to get back in there. And then Shista has been really up and down. I mean, Last week, she missed the qualification in Bidestolen in skating. In Bidestolen, gosh, in Lillehammer. Um, missed the qualification, and she didn't fall or break a pole or anything. And then back in the final today. So I, th I thought it was super good. But, like, Keegan, who, I mean, you were great in both techniques, of course. Like, like you were definitely not. I'm not trying to compare you to Nadine Fendrick, who is much better in skate sprints. But, like, can you just talk a little bit about how difficult it is to in classic because she's not the only person this week that was amazing in classic that has perhaps not usually been amazing in classic and I, I was just wildly impressed of course the conditions like you said were beautiful it was hard tracks and gorgeous classic scheme but still like how surprised were you to see Nadine win and then just the way she's really turned her classic scheme around to best in the world on that day on Friday yeah, it's a, it's a situation that reminds me a little bit of of definitely where I was at as an athlete. I think what was what I like to see is the fact that she won the qualification and that was, you know, the winner of the qualification doesn't always win the final, but sometimes that's an indication that the fitness is there. Things are coming together. We're into the third weekend of World Cup now, so uh that stride is coming along. So to see her click in, cut really kind of dominate throughout the day and um, she was so strong striding up that hill. Um, I do think that the um, if you tend to not be as strong in classic, when you have the really good hard kicking conditions like we saw in Beta Sol on this weekend, then that then the fitness could truly come out because classic is one of those techniques that it just it's sometimes about timing, sometimes about finesse, and you could be an absolute physical peak shape, but if if you can't quite get that technique to click quite right, so um, really happy to see everything come together for uh, Nadine and to be so strong there. Um, that's got to have her excited for the rest of the season. Now getting to go back to Switzerland um, for a hometown race next week, um, and I I will agree with you on uh, on Lada. Uh, Udnes Vang uh, being right in there. I think that was super cool. I, I just was trying to to think about what that would feel like if you had a twin sister who was racing at the top of the World Cup at the same level as you. I mean, I, it'd be so interesting to know what their home life is like. No, for sure. I agree. And you know what? Prior to the season, there'd actually been some articles that had been written in the Norwegian media about the twins. And, you know, they've been banging on the door. Anyone that's been following cross-country skiing knows how good they were at world juniors and on the Scandinavian cup, Norwegian cup circuit, national championships. They were definitely like 
the hair and waiting, you know what I mean? Like they were the, the next ones, but um, you know, it's been tough financially for them too lately, especially to try and make ends meet. And, uh, and then all of a sudden Tito is just like raking in cash <laughs> by being top six in every single race of the world cup. And Lotta has been pretty up and down. So to see her, to see her back. Yeah, I agree with you. There's some great discussions, but you saw her celebrate. You saw her celebrate that silver medal. Like it was a gold. It was, it was, it was really moving. I, I want to get your perspective too. Sweden, who has been the dominant sprint force for a long time now, for over five years, have been like just, just dominant. And it was cold, hard conditions. And I was really, really surprised with the Swedish showing in the sprint. It blew my mind. I think that was one of the things, the reason why I was kind of, the whole sprint day was fascinating to me. And and this was a big storyline for me. I mean, it's not that Dolphus was skiing poorly. It's not like Hogstedham was skiing crazy poorly. Okay, like maybe some question or tactics a little bit there in her semi but regardless they weren't skiing poorly and getting shut out of the final like what do you make of this this the Swedish women this weekend in sprint after such dominant performances for half a decade here I I would I would agree with you that was a that was a big surprise um if I were to place my bets coming into the day I would have said you're gonna see two or three Swedes in the final. So to see them locked out was, was surprising. Um, you know, I wonder they came into the start of the season. So hot, uh, they had the big week, big weekend in Brooks, Florida beforehand. Uh, sometimes, you know, that early momentum, uh, when you start hitting that month mark, um, can start to cost you a little bit. And if you lose just a little bit of edge, you know, in a, in a race like this, where you have to especially run up that final hill, so all out, and then be able to carry it over the top through the corner. It's a short finish stretch, but you still have to be able to carry that momentum. And it just looked look, look like they were missing a little bit of spark there. So, um, the one thing I did also want to bring attention to is, um, Baranova who was in the final, uh, I believe for the first time, really nice to see a, a Czech female skier. Uh, back up in the top. Um, I think it's uh, in most of our memories. We've almost forgotten about Katarina Neumanova, who used to dominate. So uh, fun to see see them, a new nation back in the mix. Really fun to see. I had that written down here too. So I'm glad you brought me back on track with that because, you know, a young Czech athlete in the sprint final. And again, like I, we touched on it a little bit, but uh, with the technique and how important it is and how, how tricky classic can be. It's not you know, there's been a lot of great skaters throughout history, at least results wise that like, honestly, some have beautiful technique and ski absolutely phenomenally beautiful. You are one of those skiers, uh, <laughs> but some other skate athletes have great results that just kind of really mash, like really like not great skiing, <laughs> technically not hitting their angles, but their VO2 max are just out of this world or they're incredibly strong with a high VO2 max and, and they can get the results. Whereas in classic, it's, it's, it's really difficult to ski very, very poorly in classic and get the results. And the reason why I bring this up, especially with some of these new names in the finals with Baranova, for example, skiing well and getting into the, making the final as a young athlete like that must be so motivating, not just for her, but the whole entire Czech program. And I mean, it'd be interesting to follow these Swedes as they go. I mean, I think it was just a bit of a hiccup. There's, I mean, you, yeah. They happen in the men that we're going to get to here soon with the Norwegians. This is the first time ever. There was such a poor showing uh, for the Norwegian men in the classic sprint since the inception of sprinting. But regardless, it was um, it, it was interesting to it'll be interesting to follow that story. It's also interesting to see Kirtu back in there. You know, Niskin, I think it was a good foreshadowing for what came the day after because like Kirtu looked great in her quarter. She qualified well. And yeah, she was ninth on the day. But 
regardless, like after the start, she's had, she's had like a bit of an up and down, almost, I would say like def, define it as like a shaky start. If you compare it to uh, Kyoto at her best and we saw Kyoto at her best this weekend uh, in, the, in the 10K. But Julia Kern, big shout out to Julia in 10th again in the classic sprint. There's someone that has really found her stride in, in sprinting and I, for the US. And I think that's, that's really exciting to, to have Julia get some consistency. And of course, Diggins for the hometown crowd, like Diggins in 17th and Rosie in 21st. You know, Rosie's just been coming off a really, really difficult <laughs> go here with COVID. To so see her back racing and racing at a pretty good level is is impressive. And um, luckily, we were retired before any sort of COVID really kicked into high gear. But I, I just know racing after being really out of a bad head cold or a fever or something it's not easy and I, I know people understand that after we're you know three years into this pandemic people can appreciate like how how tough it is to be at your best after being sick but I, I think too there's been a lot of questions about Lin Svan and um, Johanna Sundling and like what happened with Sundling what happened with, with Lin Svan everyone knows with Lin Svan we talked about it before her shoulder injury that she's just taking a really slow and and progressive comeback and she was great in the Swedish cup this weekend she just demolished the field and, and looked great in that winning so people that are Lin Svan fans you can look forward to her being back in the world cup soon she she's great and then Sundling has been sick she it wasn't COVID but she had a really really bad head cold just in the lead up to the season and just taking some time like before we move on to the men like can you talk about times in your career where you had a head cold and then you have those conflicting yeah you have goals you have races coming up especially in period one you know it's a world championship year and and now like what we remember most probably is when we were later in our career but but try and try and think about go back to like when you were like 24 25 26 and like getting sick in period one I don't know if you ever had to experience that but regardless yeah that's that was tough that was always tough for me but um so it'd be interesting to hear uh, your perspective on like how how big a challenge that is, especially at the kickoff to the season before we move on to the men. Well, getting a cold at any point in the year, anytime you have to slow down, step away, just feels like the worst thing in the world. I mean, time crawls to a stop and you just feel almost like you're never going to get back and the opportunities are are running away from you. Um, but it, it really has become uh, tactical decisions now with the World Cup being such a jammed calendar, uh, really a long season. And with this change of uh, scoring to the top 50 now, where every single race counts, um, you kind of got to decide where you put your energy. And so when you are sick, you know, you want to come back as soon as possible. You want to be in the action, but you have to be a little careful because you go too hard too soon. Uh, you don't fully recover. And, you know, even if you're back racing, but you're subpar, you can lose so much ground. So I think it it is probably smart, period one, uh, we're only three weeks into the season. Um, there's so much racing to come. I mean, if you put together a good weekend now, that that can be um, what you need to get back on track. So, yeah, it's it's bummer for us spectators to uh, to not have those women in the action. Um, you know, I know for Rosie, it was a really tough week because she had really started to feel her fitness coming on strong in both Ruka and Lillehammer, and then to have to take a step back on a course and conditions when I think she would have really thrived this weekend. Um, but, but she's a veteran. She had the right um, mindset about it. I think to come out and do the sprint to qualify was a really good sign. 
Um, and she, she was in there in the heats. You could just tell she didn't have that full gear back. Um, but every race now gets progressively better. So this is, I think, where you see the difference between rookies and veterans. Sometimes um, rookies just, they want to be part of it. They jump right in and, uh, and the veterans and those traditional nations that kind of know it's about the long game. Um, that's why you see some racers taking a little slower. Oh, that's, um, that was, that, that I completely agree. I got nothing to add for that. So let's just try and blast through to the men. Like <laughs> if the women's sprint was exciting and, and somewhat surprising, I, I will say, at least it was for me. Uh, with the Swedish women not really on their on their best, the men's sprint was just like how we have we seen a men's classic sprint final. I Andy was in Norway, shall I add? But who cares where it's from? Where, oh, sorry, where the race is taking place? Like never in my life, and never in the history of classic sprinting with all the big guns. Yeah, Klebo was the only one that was missing for the Norwegian sprinters. I have never witnessed a classic sprint, the likes that I saw. And it was flabbergasting. I mean, Richard Juve winning what, I mean, he's won, he's, he's the reigning sprint club cup winner. But again, we have to remember, and I hate to put asterisks around people's performance. Cause it's not Juve's fault that the entire Norwegian men's sprint team got COVID after the Olympic games last year, but they were out at the tail end of that season. And it was quite a tight race and Juve had to win in drama. And he did, it was amazing. It was what a wild win. And he's just been such a staple of the sprint world cup for so long now and he's really turned on his classic skiing as well started as more known for a skating really powerful athlete and he's really got that timing down but regardless beautiful race by him most uh, i'm going to try and say it properly because i was with uh i was working with the canadians this weekend and one of our texas italians who's going to be pissed when i butcher this name but like mussolini um or mochellini uh the young italian 24 years old six world cup starts never been anywhere close to this. Like his dream is like to qualify guy ends up qualifying third finishes second. I need to get your perspective on this. Paul Goldberg, I think would have won the race, but he fell. He was looking so good. He, he like falls on the second to last uphill of a short sprint course and comes back into contention to finish fourth. Lots of storylines here, but the, but the big takeaways for me was, Oh my God, there's one Norwegian in the final and this guy in the yellow bib who just everything he touches turns to gold right now. And Paul Goldberg, perspectives on the men's sprint like I, I thought it was just like bananas it was and and not only was it just one Norwegian man in the final there was only two in the top 12 so I mean it, it just even as you drop down um that was super surprising um I thought it was you know France was the only nation to have two skiers in the final otherwise it was um all we saw all the flags um you know it was it was hard to tell from tv uh, what exactly happened to Paul? It looked like Paul and Mochellini maybe uh, kind of bumped in there, but, you know, rubbing is racing. That's kind of the way it goes in classic sprints. So, um, you know, I feel like I've watched Paul have some tough moments in the past and maybe, you know, fall and throw his hands up. So I thought it was really cool to see him just get up right away and chase hard. And you could almost see the adrenaline like pouring out his ears as he came um back into the group there. So uh, definitely impressive. Um, and the fact that 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 seemed to fuel him for the rest of the weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I was super impressed with Juve's classic striding. Um, you know, we know he's a ball of power. He can explode up the uphill, but on the second to last uphill, his striding uh, looked almost the most dynamic to anyone in the group. 
So I thought that was really impressive and really great to see him um, win the race. Um, Callie Halverson, you know, our guy, he's, he's kind of having an up and down start to the season, but Hey, he, he was right in there. And uh, I, you know, I hope he can feel good about that um, podium. Um, so super fun. And then, you know, we're, I know we're talking about the final, but I can't help, but uh, talk a little bit about Ben Ogden. Um, I guess we got a new hashtag going. It's called the Benny shuffle. Um, Cause he pulled out a little run on that, on that last uphill every time. That's a little different style than we've seen any of the other guys do. But man, in that quarterfinal, he went from fourth to first uh, up the outside, and that was super fun to see. So I loved, I love his confidence coming up and just watching him in there powering with the big guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ben Ogden puts together another beautiful sprint in seventh, and <laughs> like, oh my god, like I, what, what a character. I mean, Ben Ogden is just just oozes the north northeast like he is just so quintessential blue collar i know people listening it's like oh kershaw you say this all the time but he is man and like he's so hard working and you know exactly how much he wants it and how hard he's working because listen the facts are the facts the guy's not the most beautiful classic sprinter in the field he just isn't and he does it his way and he doesn't give a shit what you think about it and the fact that he's getting these top well, results the docs yeah, it's very unorthodox. And, and the the fact is, is he's stacking together these top tens and he's really, really knocking on the door and skiing away from people or like skiing away, beating people like Evan Nortuk, who's just been like on absolute fire this year and skis beautifully in both techniques. It's just, it's, it's just outrageous to me that Ben is able to like put these kind of performances together, uh, with with let's say yeah an unorthodox technique and like you said you don't have to be clebo to to move fast and some of his fundamentals are really really good um that said if he can get his technique together the guy's going to be unstoppable once he just gets a little bit more efficient so it was uh it was a wonderful performance by him and and uh, just so just so impressive to see. I love all the young American guys. I think they're so easy to cheer for, and, and it was cool. And and the semifinal when you go down the list, we don't have to go deep into it. But like Michael Novak back in the top ten was cool, and um, Moylinen, the young Finnish under world junior champion, up there for eighth. Like it was just it, the, the sprint had a lot of storylines. It's a really fun course. You've skied that course many times. They then so have I, and it's uh it's fun to watch. And it was just the most if this isn't the most surprising results list of a sprint the entire world cup season i uh yeah he hit me up on an email and i'll have to give you something because i I just never in my wildest dreams would i have come up with the top 12 results like this before the day happens it was fun but moving on to something that was also insanely fun 10k classic for women can you can you tee us up on that what did you see and and i i love that race i mean i was out on course and wow i was uh, i was spectacular it was freezing freaking cold too they said whatever they published the course whatever they published the temperature being it was right on the limit okay like it was when i was in the wax truck before we're going out to test it was well it was below minus 20 when i left uh, at 7 30 to test skis um and at race time like it was it was cold so take us through that one keek yeah well um anytime you see jesse diggins wearing a hat you know it's cold um, cause she, she always seems to be able to get by with le- less, uh, tire than everyone else. So, um, yeah, I mean, happy they could pull it off cause it was such beautiful conditions outside of it being a little cold. Um, 
the classic conditions, really, I, I don't think they get any better than that. Um, just it's, it's a dream when you're racing because you feel like every time you push that ski down, you just get so much out of it. Um, you're motivated to keep going fast because the sooner you get done, the sooner you get to go inside. Um, but, uh, yeah, the race, I think what struck me the most was you really saw some different pacing out there. Um, both the, um, the two American veterans, Jesse and Rosie, um, took it out hot. They were up there in that first split station. Um, and then, you know, once they got into the race, then, uh, then the leaderboard was changing up a little bit. And I think that kept it super exciting as, um, for the spectators and, um, you know, it, it was great to see Jesse leading hard. You know, I think she faded a little bit at the end, but you know, I know for her, she's, she's just testing the fitness, figuring out what those boundaries are, um, finding out every little bit of fitness she can eke out now, um, by, by pushing to that max zone. So that was great. You know, Rosie was just really strong and smooth. Um, she's definitely still coming back a little bit, but, um, I thought that was a really good sign. And I think she's got to be pretty happy with that. And then, um, her too, man, just really strong from start to finish. She looked like she nailed the pacing. Uh, you know, she was a few seconds down in that first split and then evened it up midway and then was, was really strong at the end. So that was fun to see, um, as a, as a spectator, it's great to have these, these beautiful classic races because you just get to see technique at its finest. Absolutely. And that, that is the beauty of it being like minus 18.6 or whatever it was during the race, because it was bomber, bomber tracks. It looks a lot like that, that picture behind you, Keegan. It was, you don't get better classic skiing than that. Everything's kicking well. Like when you're testing skis, it's actually kind of funny because it's like, okay, like all these skis have perfect kick. Now we're just trying to find the fastest skis. Um, so, you know, if you have 10 out of 10 kick, not all the, not all the kick is going to be as fast when you're double pulling and, and some of the wax, you can feel, feel the skis, the, feel the grip wax, sorry, under your feet while you're double pulling, but everything is just totally locker and bomber. And Ashishti Calvo finally on the podium, like she's been knocking on the door. She's been like 0.2 seconds back, 0.4 seconds back off a podium, never been on the world cup podium before. And 28 year old, just the nicest, most wonderful person ever. Great teammate had such a hard time. We've talked about it before and we don't have that much time. So I don't get to so into it, but you know, last year, just to remind people, you know, huge deal for her to make a championship. Finally, it was the world, it was the Olympic games and she gets COVID before going, it doesn't get to go. And she's really had a phenomenal season this year. And for young athletes that want to study how to ski classic well and hitting your angles well and having good low shoulders and super stable through their core. And Ashishti's hard to beat right now. And I, I thought it was just a, a wonderful performance. I loved how you brought up pacing because this was a this was a theme that also happened in the men's race. And you're absolutely right. Like people that opened super, super hot paid big time on this. And it's period one. I totally agree with you. I mean, if you consistently hammer like that and want it, it's way better to want it bad and like not have it work out and then come to the world championships. And that's the day it works out and bang, you're on the podium. But Frida Carlson, I mean, the early splits of that race, I'm like, Frida's got this thing locked up. She looks great. She's just charging. Like, there's no chance. And I mean, she, she, she came undone spectacularly, actually. Uh, you know, she was third. So like, it, it, which is a, a great race. Don't get me wrong. But, but just the way she opened, she wasn't able to maintain it. And you're right. It's, it's really cold. It's, it's, it's tough to maintain that hot pace. Diggins, same kind of thing happened. Matantalo actually too. Like uh, Matantalo opened super hard, looked great the whole race, even looked great finishing the race, but just came off, came off like 
actually quite significantly to fall to fifth. It's still a wonderful performance by the Finns. I thought the Finns just had like, what a banner day. I mean, you have three in the top 10, two in the top five, and then you have Parmakowski in 11. So it was a, it was an amazing performance by the whole Finnish ski team. And I, I want to give a shout out to Catherine Stewart Jones. She had a, she had a head cold all week actually. And I don't know, things are clicking with, with Catherine and it's really, really fun to be around the Canadian team, but especially like to see how Catherine's grown and, and delivered these like sustainable performances week in, week out. No, no nervousness whatsoever that she'd been had a head cold earlier in the week and, and for sure wasn't batting at a thousand. I mean, she was not a hundred percent going into the race, but felt good enough, had good race prep the day before, looked good and was like, just excited to give a, another great try after such a wonderful classic race in Lillehammer and then bangs out a 19th place. But if you just look at how tight it is, you know, she's five seconds from 15th with Heidi. Uh, she's six seconds down to, to 14th with Lotta, who was on the podium the day before. So um, pretty, pretty excited for Catherine and, and Canada needs that kind of fire and the way she races, man, like you should see a Keegan, like she, she wants it bad. And I, I think that's so impressive to see. And that's, that's the fire we get every day from Diggins. That's what you get from Frida every single race. Teresa, that was a classic. You just like, they just go so, so deep, but you know, how, you know, as much as the next person, how important that is that fire in your, in your stomach, the, like how much you want it can make a real difference. So that was cool. I'll, well, before we move on to the men's race, I'm going to touch on it a little bit because it, it aggravates me a, a little bit. Although in this case, really, really cold. Anishirsti, Calvo's first podium. Frida Carlson doesn't show up for the podium. Um, I don't know. I, I have some thoughts, but I want to get your thoughts first before I, I, I just like seeing, seeing a podium with just two people on it. It's, I don't know, but I'll, I just want to get a quick hot take from you and then I'll give a hot take and we'll move on to the men. Yeah, I, I, I'll agree with you. That's a, I think that's poor form. Um, you know, it did look like from the camera that, that Frida was struggling at the end, maybe with her hands, uh, can appreciate that. Um, but man, it's, it's really, they, they run that podium ceremony pretty efficiently. Um, it is a pretty special time. I think sometimes perhaps the bigger nations, the athletes who are up there all the time kind of forget how special it can be to have your first podium. You know, I'm sure for Anna Christie sure, in, in front of a hometown crowd also. So yeah, that's a bummer. I mean, the, it's such an opportunity to be able to go up on the podium and, and to have all three up there and celebrate. Um, it's a special moment. So, um, I know at one point Fist was discussing some penalties if uh, athletes didn't show up for the podium. Uh, so it'd be interesting if um, if that discussion is going on right now. Um, yeah, I know it was tough. I mean, like, because that, that's what I agree. But at the same time, you race in the cold. Like, if you just get shattered by the cold, you saw what happened to Diggins. Like, I'm I'm not at all faulting Frida. She was freezing cold, and she came undone. She went so deep, and it like she held on for the podium, but I mean, it was a hard last couple of K you should have seen her out there. Keep like, it was, it was tough. Like and, and diggers too, man. Like she was totally wrecked. The only thing I can think of is when it's cool, like, it's hard, right? It's a balance for trying to have a good product and they want to show those photos. Fist wants to show, or like the, the local production wants to have those podium shots to be part of the television production live before they cut to like the second run of a GS wherever or a slalom, you know, there's so many winter sports happening right now that, that it's a really, really tight time schedule. So they try to be efficient with the podium and that's why it happened so quickly after the race. 
but at the same time, it's like, what's better, you know, like how heat big does it look when you only have two people on the podium? Maybe it's better just not to show the podium, give Frida 20 minutes and go like, it's freezing cold, go to the changing tent. Don't just try and change in the finishing area. Like, and go, let's go, let's go, let's go to the podium. But like, listen, we're going to do the podium in 20 minutes. So no, it's not going to be part of this today's like production. We're going to miss the podium production, but we'll see like Frida shattered on the snow and Diggins shattered on the snow. And everyone knows how cold it is because all the commentators around the world have been saying how cold it is. And then we're going to give people a chance, have those photos that can go out to, to the newspapers and, and online outlets and also on like Eurosport player and, and, you know, a lot of the streaming services so people can, can see that. Cause yeah, man, it just looks so bad. I don't know. It's just like, this is a cross country problem. I think like that, that big stars can, and fist it's everybody together. It's not, it's not purely Frida's issue. It, it's, and it's not purely fist's issue. Cause I mean, they just want the athletes to be there on the podium, but these kind of things happen too much. Same with athletes that go through the mix zone without talking to, to, to journalists or running to their car or like not wanting to talk when they have bad races. Like you just could never see this in, in like the world cup or that's happening right now in, in football or like American football. Think about that, like NFL and like, just like, you no know, running like through this stuff. Like, like it would be, yeah. Anyway, I'll leave it there, but it was, uh, it was well, very cool. I, I'll just, I can just step in for a second to say like, you know, I mean, I spent nine years as an athlete rep within fists. So uh, I, I got to understand probably more than the average athlete, you know, how much, um, the, how the ecosystem depends on various factors. And so I can, um, you know, I can appreciate the dilemma of, of, you know, trying to do the best to produce the best product for TV, um, because it's the, it's the, it's the TV, it's the viewerships, it's the sponsors that really allow the world cup to happen. I mean, if we didn't have that kind of stuff, it wouldn't happen. So at the same time, you can't jeopardize like the health and well-being of the athletes, but there's a compromise in the middle. And, because we're in a sport where na mother nature throws all sorts of curveballs, um, I think the best you can do is, is kind of learn from a situation like this and go, okay, maybe we need to have a contingency plan for when it's really, really, really cold. And we know athletes are pushing it to the line. Uh, you know, can we have an alternative podium ceremony um, or do something differently? Um, you know, in Alpine now, they pretty much the run is done and they have them stand in front of the thing and that's kind of it. So I think, I think we can just get creative uh, to figure it out. And, um, you know, I think the, for the athletes to, to really understand how important it is, uh, for the audience, which drives everything, um, to see the personalities I, I can, I can relate as an athlete, how, when you are destroyed after a race, you just want to go be warm. You want to take care of yourself. You know, you have a race the next day. Um, but you also kind of have a responsibility to be a representative of the sport. Um, and so I think we just need to teach athletes a little bit more about that. Uh, to remind them like all the great things they benefit from um, and how they can really contribute to making that the best it can be. Um, it, Cause I think if we can build that kind of connection and gratitude. Then, then it's a little easier for athletes to realize, Oh, I had a bad race, but I still need to stand there and talk about it. Cause I need to, I need to play my role. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I, just before we move on to the men's race too, I mean, and our, maybe our 28th listener will dig this up and throw this in my face, but I cannot recall in the last eight years a biathlon podium where someone, which is also winter sport, which is also cold, but has a lot more money and the IBU runs a lot tighter ship. I can't recall. I'm a mega dork of biathlon too. I 
can't recall people routinely. And this is not something that just happens once in a while. Like people skip podiums. When I was on the, when I was on the overall world cup podium in 2012, when I was second, like Petter wasn't there. He didn't show up. Like it was like, so then you have like, you know, the overall world cup podium where the globe's getting given to Dario and it's just Dario and I up there. It's just, it's just heat bag. It just, it makes our sport look bad. And like you said, you're trying to sell things to the sponsors and grow an audience and compete against other winter sports. It's something that has to be looked at. So yeah, no interesting stuff. When the best skiers in the world want to go faster, they turn to Fisher's Speedmax Helium system. The all-new Fisher Speedmax boots feature an enhanced carbon cuff to provide optimal torsional stiffness and increased power transfer to the ski. The refined inner shoe provides compelling fit and performance. Are you ready to find out how much faster this World Cup-ready combo will make you next season? Go to fishersports.com to learn more about the Fisher Speedmax Helium system. The men's 10K Classic, also just, it was, it was cold, you know, it warmed up to minus 14, 15. So it wasn't quite as just crazy on the limit cold as the women. And just, again, you saw the same thing. You saw guys like open crazy hard and just fall apart. And then you had others that were like men of steel. I mean... Paul Goldberg is just having what a period one. And he is, I mean, it was his first individual start victory in nine years and he can do no wrong. If you want, again, like technically speaking, he's so strong. He's so smooth. He looks so good. He was so in control. His pacing was completely on point for a while. It looked like Diddick Tomseth, who came second, who's having a real resurgence after he wasn't on the national team. I'll remind like people listening last year, cause he had just such a phenomenal explosion two seasons ago where he couldn't even race himself into the top 30 uh back up in top form and and almost looked like he was going to nip him but paul was not going to be denied and andrew musgrave in a classic race kicking third so I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you just take it from there but like it, it was crazy well um yeah i mean i i want to say it's super fun to watch the men race 10k uh, you can just tell there's a little bit of urgency there, uh, which I think creates some more powerful dynamic skiing. And you see that I, I think the pacing actually matters more almost in a 10 K than a 15. I mean, Paul Goldberg was 24th at the first split, uh, not looking spectacular. Tonseth also, uh, you know, just barely in the top 20 at that first split. Um, so it's, it's really made men's racing interesting. Um, and, uh, it looked like it was snowing a little bit as they started. I don't know if that really played a factor. It looked like skis were pretty straightforward, um, good fair conditions there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a race that kept you kind of glued to it because, you know, things were shifting through the podium and, um, Andrew Musgrave, this is, this his first podium or it's gotta be like one of the few, um, he's just been knocking at the door so many times. Uh, it did look, let's see who, um, he got a ride the first lap, I think with Goldberg. So that certainly, that certainly helps, um, when you can just kind of click into someone who's really setting a good pace on the first lap. And then as long as you can hold it on the second lap, um, which Goldberg was really hitting his stride on the second lap. So that's impressive that, uh, that Muzzy was able to hold on, but I think that's super cool to see, um, I love that he's like, you know, such a strong, powerful skier out there, but I feel like his technique has really improved in classic, uh, and was looking really good. Um, yeah, I mean the Norwegians, their, their technique just looked dialed. Uh, they look like beautiful skiers. Um, fun to see, um, 
DeFabiani up there. Fun to see a German back in the top 10. Um, let's see uh, what I, um, I was super impressed with Hunter Wonders um, from the U.S. team. He was almost leading at the first split, so definitely got excited, but relatively held it together and uh, and got his first, um, his 16th place. So uh, really, really close to the top 15, but that's a huge result for him. Um, and I know he's pretty stoked. And then um, Ben Ogden in 19th uh, was was really good. And I think there were some there were some young Canadians up up there, pretty solid too, right? Yeah, I know for sure. It was it was super exciting with the Americans. Hunter was yeah, like what a beautiful race. And Ben again, like he's just been so stable. But Antoine Sear again, like he was he was like disappointed with twentieth after his twelfth place last weekend. But I had to try and remind him. I'm like, Tony, buddy, look at how you were racing in Norway one year ago because he was so good in Ruka and then came to Norway, just got like absolutely demolished for the rest of period one. And now he's consistently in the top 20 in classic right now. And, and he felt like he just was missing a little bit on the, on the transition flats uh, sections of Vitastolen, which is a lot of Vitastolen. Let's be honest. There's a lot of corners and a lot of gradual terrain out there. And I thought it was a super solid performance by him. I, I, it's, uh, it was, it was amazing. And coming back to the pacing again, I mean, like Porama opened in St. Louis, Swede, the young Swede, uh, opened insanely hard and then faded all the way back to 15th. Muzzy, just to like, we'll do the fact check because like this is so he had a podium. He was bronze in 2018 at the Tour de Ski stage in Toblock skating, 15K skate. Then, Muzzy, I'm sorry, buddy. You can give me hate mail all you want, but everyone that listens to this podcast knows like if you have the fastest time on some random pursuit, I don't care. And that for a while, Fist was like recognizing this as a podium and then they didn't recognize it as a podium. So there was one of the long races in the Tour de Ski. Muzzy had the fastest time where I think Petter won or something, but we all know how Petter skis those pursuits, Petter Nortug in the Tour de Ski. It's like, yeah, you can all catch me. I'm going to sit in. I'm going to just torch all you guys to win. I don't care what my time of the day is. I'm trying to win the Tour de Ski. I'm trying to win the stage because that's what a pursuit race is. So he had he has four world cup podiums officially two of which are time of day um, performances, which as impressive as those races are what he did today in a 10 K classic is head and shoulders more impressive to me. And that he did it in classic at 32 years old after not being in the podium for almost five years is a wonderful, wonderful payout after such a great start to the season. And we had, we had Muncy on here uh, chatting earlier this year. And I mean, I'm just a broken record, but like the, how hard it was for Britain right now, Great Britain with their funding structure, you have coaches that are, I mean, Jostein and uh, Hans are such amazing coaches with a vast knowledge and it's been shitty for them. Like, I mean, they're not getting paid for months. They're working. There's so much uncertainty with, with how things are going and that Muzzy can be a consummate professional and just put that behind him and deliver results like he's delivering and not just the results like you said Keith. like skiing really well in classic and I never in my wildest dreams would have thought myself who loves classic more than anything else would say that like Muzzy skiing like really nice classic I never would have thought that was possible and, and uh, it was a banner performance Emily Verstein in fourth um you know he's he's been bouncing around a lot it's been a really tough tough start to the season for Emil I mean like he won the 50k classic while he was actually 
third or whatever, but we're, he has a gold medal anyway uh, from from the much dis, the, the much discussed uh, 2000. Uh, sorry, the World Championships in Oberstdorf. The last World Championships were uh, where Kleibo was DQ'd. Um, so it was cool to see him back. They were skiing, like you said. The Norwegians were skiing really well. I'm giving a huge shout out, but to Mikkel Gunnelsen in eighth. He's been out in the media saying that he hasn't been able to be getting the chances he deserves. He has barely raced World Cups. This is like his third World Cup start. He was been top 10 in home and colon. Then he won by the stolen two years ago, the, the fist race before the World Cup. Then broke his leg, like clean break. He can like tibia, fibula, like boom, right out on a training ski with my brother-in-law actually. And it's been hell for him to come back from that injury. And that was... And the fact to see him up, get, he got the call up. This is, I talked about this last week too with uh, Henrik Dalmasta. But this is how impressed, impressive or how impressed I am with some of these young guys. And I mean, Gunnelson, it's hard to say he's young anymore. Sorry, Mikela, <laughs> but you're 29. <laughs> but but he can, he's been training 25 hours a week because he's trying to give her pinner for the Scandinavian Cup, which is next weekend in Ostersund. He, he's been doing like three, four hour sessions, training hard. He gets a call at like in the late afternoon evening he's sitting in oslo which is three and a half hour drive from by the stone hey tomorrow if you want to get here you can do a world cup and he comes gets in the car drives shows up in the dark wakes up the next day in his top 10 i mean come on like you gotta you gotta clap performances like that those are hard so no but it was a it was a beautiful beautiful 10k i totally agree with you i was kind of like old school and a grumple still skin about about the 15k evaporating but i can agree with you more the 10k especially classic which is i mean i love 10k skates too but it's been so exciting to see these guys try and figure out the pacing it's been it's made up for a lot of drama so it was great so it was uh, super fun and then we got 10 minutes left so we're gonna which is perfect because we're gonna talk about like a race that i'm pretty stoked about honestly like i think the mixed relay is an awesome format so what did you see or what did you what was your takeaways about today's mixed relay because I, I thought it was pretty fun Yeah, it's a, it's a, the mixed relay is super, a super fun format because I think particularly for the teams who don't have as, as much depth, um, to put together two top men and two top women, you could feel like you're in the hunt a little bit more. So, you know, at the end of the day, we saw results that were, uh, you know, pretty typical with, um, two Norwegian teams and a Swedish team in the, on the podium, but throughout the race, um, there were different leaders up front and, and a lot of teams in the mix. And, um, I think switching from, you know, women to men, and then from a classic to skate, um, and again, 5k, um, you know, there really aren't, 5Ks anymore individually. So the only time these athletes get to race is in the relay. And speaking from experience, 5K is a one of the gotta be one of the the hardest race formats because it's basically a sprint, except you got to hold it for 12 to, to 16 minutes. Um, and on this course, you know, they, they it was only a two and a half K loop, but they included the course's biggest climb. And you had a pretty gradual buildup before you even got to that one. So it was a tough course. And um the, the, the other funny thing I loved on the third leg was how after the first lap, you know, Frida Carlson had made up some a gap for the Swedish team, got back up to uh, the two Norwegians, which I thought closed pretty quick. I was a little surprised, although we know that she likes to start hard. But then the women were playing a little bit of cat and mouse in the stadium, like to the point where I wasn't sure they weren't going to like stop completely. 
um, they were, they were really playing around and you never see that in women's racing. That's, that's always what the men do. So, and then, then the, the men take over on the next leg and, and Ninget just like pushes it and, you know, blows it apart. Or I guess that was the second leg. Um, so you just, you really saw some funny tactics out there, uh, which made it, made it fun and exciting. I totally agree. I thought it was amazing. I mean, like Kruger's last, like Kruger's fourth leg for the skating was just, was just a masterwork of how to just completely undress the likes of heavier, bigger skiers, power skiers, the likes of Emily Leverson and, and Calla Halverson on a course, like you said, like it was a very difficult, it was a very, very hard two and a half K. You come out of the stadium, you bombed all the way down to the lake. If you remember that up through that gradual section, then around up mm -hmm. the giant climb. And then like, let's not forget, like the tail end of the sprint course is hard with those two Hills. It's tough. So you couldn't have made a more exciting and difficult 5k course in the, by the stolen ski arena. So amazing there. And I totally agree. I mean, like Frida was like lipping off at the end of the race too, saying like, you know, like they, they weren't willing to help me. And like, they, I was like trying to get them to help. And then Celia Terderson, who I thought, okay, like the, the, the leg of the day was, was Kruger. I mean, I mean, because it was on display, he just like completely annihilated those guys, which was insane. Um, but Celia Terderson, she teed it up. And I mean, the fact that she has the guts to ski smart like that, and limit like I mean because Frida was charging there to try and drop them and did get a some small gap a few seconds and she Celia like was patient got back up and then on the last hill like had the guts to be like no I'm gonna go toe to toe and I was on that last sprint hill and they were like side by side like just smashing up that up that and you know Celia put the boots to Heidi Bang who's an absolute amazing and like the titan of the women's team really I mean traditionally she's she's been struggling a lot she's missed a lot of training this year with um with the concussion i think i talked about that a bit before so she feels like she just doesn't have the base that she usually does but regardless it was uh it was just a super fun i want to get your perspective so i was standing out on the course with an with a real legend of skiing axel teichman who works with the germans and we were just talking about this uh we were talking about this format and he would he was saying like it would be really cool to go one step further and and do it like the mixed relay and swimming where like you have two men, you have two women, you have two classic legs and two skate legs, but the order of how you do it, it's like secret ballot. Essentially you have to put your entries in and that does not get published until like 15 minutes before the race starts. And then no one knows. And so you set it up at, you have to have two men, you have to have two women, two classic, two skate, but the genders like where you want to put them. And I think it's true. Like that mixed relay and swimming is so exciting like that. You never know what's going to happen. And you see, uh, so that could, that could add a bit more excitement. What do you think about that? I, th I thought it was an awesome idea. It certainly would add a lot of excitement. I mean, I remember when they introduced the heat selection into sprints and all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, like that completely changes the day. Cause now you got to be strategic and, and think about it. And you don't know, at least that time you do know what other people are picking, but yeah, if if teams really had to go into it and think about, do we want to get the lead early? Do we want to be chasing strong? The only thing I can imagine is how much of a challenge the TV production would be just because you could potentially have teams very spread out and a lot of change. So, you know, if maybe short courses or something. If you figured that out, lots of cameras out there uh, could be really intriguing. Oh, that that's true. It is true. And especially like I've harped on this a lot before and I'll try not to smash this through people's skull that listen to this um but yeah like i mean 
the production quality differences are just so vast that like I, I have full confidence that if it was in Oslo um, or Falun, they'd be some, I don't know how, cables everywhere. And just like you said, just like three times as many cameras, they'd be able to make it work and the directors would do it well. But you're right. Like next thing you know, you're racing in Davos for a mixed relay or something. And then like we're filming like a chickadee or something eating some bird seed or something you know and then the guys with the big cowbells and like that's what we see so it is true that's true i didn't really think about that but it is it's a fun format and it's only the second time that it's been raced on on the world cup and i hope it i hope it stays because i i do think it's uh i thought it was a really exciting race and, and then you know the canada u.s battle geek i mean the u.s was missing their big big stars you know rosie brennan skipped 100 agree with Rosie skipping that after coming back from COVID, she's got to be smart here. And like, listen, it's tough to miss those early races. Jesse, I was kind of surprised that she skipped it. She's a real team player usually, but she went to the basement in that 10K. And maybe we just didn't spend enough time talking about like how much that affects you to race when it's so cold and when you blow up and you go so, so deep. And Diggins does that every single race and we're used to it, but like, she was wrecked in the finish area. Like she had to be helped out of the finish area and she was blank. It was like, she was at the end of like some crazy ultra marathon or something like she just looks so wrecked. So for sure, the smart money there is they're going to altitude tomorrow and they don't have enough time to fully get adjusted to that altitude of Davos. Um, and, you know, Jesse's still trying to keep that hunt for the overall world cup alive. And, and, you know, it's, it's maybe tough for the fans at home to, to not see your two best, yeah, the leaders of the U.S. ski team race this mixed relay, but they are both team players. So I have full confidence that like they, they would have loved to do that if 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 the if the stars aligned, but but the stars didn't align. I, I was also very impressed. I must say that that Frida did it because she also emptied the tank. Like we talked earlier in this podcast about her not going to the prize giving ceremony and stuff like that. And yeah, okay, I've accused Frida of being a bit of a drama queen because newsflash she is but, but yesterday it was it was super cold and she was wrecked like completely wrecked that was not a show and the fact that she bounced back and raced for a team like that was uh man hats off to Frida that's that's impressive and she tried like you said she tried on that first lap to gap them it didn't work and then yeah, she wanted those Norwegians to help her but like uh-uh, they, they can help you after you almost tried to put the boots to them so uh but it made for really fun racing so it was a it was a really fun weekend. So it was, yeah, awesome. it was, um, great to see, uh, great to see the relay socks back out. Um, it was fun. I was getting some, uh, text messages the night before, um, that they were pulling out the socks. Um, so that looked like the team was in good spirits and yeah, even though Rosie and Jesse weren't on the team, um, it really looked like the whole team was rallying around the event. And I do, I do think it was a smart call for both Jesse and Rosie. I mean, I don't remember period one being this intense. We've had now three weekends with three races or two week, um, Yeah. So many races per weekend um, that really makes a full schedule. And then um, there's going to be another weekend in Davos and then it's not too long before tour to ski kicks up. So um, for the athletes who are really hunting for the overall, you have to pace yourself a little bit. And sometimes that means making some difficult decisions. I also wonder if, the American team is kind of looking at it and going, you know, we've got a couple of great veterans, but we've got this really good surging group of young athletes. And so the more you almost let them get in there and get the experience, uh, that's going to be important down the line when we're looking at championship relays and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was fun to see some, some good faces in there and, um, 
everyone's got to be feeling good about, you know, three weekends under their belt. The Scandinavian part of the, the period one is over and now they're heading to a uh, sunny, but I hear not so snowy Davos. Yeah, I heard the same and I feel bad for the the young guns and the American team and the Canadian team that haven't spent a lot of time because Davos has been kind of like a home away from home for the American and Canadian team throughout forever. So, and when there's a lot of snow in Davos, okay, it's not size around good skiing, but man, it's good skiing and the hot chocolates taste great. And, uh, the Americans and Canadians stay at the same hotel, a family run hotel called Hotel Kulm, which has like an amazing sauna and just like great helpful staff and, and with snow everywhere, it's got such a great Christmas vibe. So we'll all cross our fingers and hope that Davos gets like that Alpen storm that can happen. You know how those go Keith, where it just snows like 60 centimeters unplanned overnight. And then it's like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Now it's uh, winter is fully here, but um, no, it'll be exciting to, to follow these teams through and it'll also be interesting to see I mean you know I got the last I know you got to go but, but I'll just I got some a bit of flack behind that like, I've been thinking the men's racing is boring and distance racing is boring and blah 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 and people are like well you know like that's not good like why are you so negative and it's like it's not it's not that I think it's boring when only Norwegians are good that's not what I mean but I just think that like there's not many storylines for a sport that's trying to grow and um this weekend had a lot of surprises. And I must say, uh, I was, every race had just some great stories and all races were super fun to be a part of and watch. And, uh, Davos is always a real turning point. Like, you know, Keegan, I mean, that altitude, Ingveld skipped by the stolen. She's been in, in Davos now for, she'll have been there for two weeks when, when those races come along and if people that are betting on sports, don't do that. Just kidding. Um, but people that, that, uh, want to, have some bragging rights. Go back and look at the history of Ingveld Flugstad Osberg at, at, at high altitude in Davos, or at the altitude in Davos, and she's she's a force to be reckoned with. So there's some, some great storylines in Davos, no um, no question. And I wish you a wonderful Sunday and a very yeah. Well, Merry one Christmas. quick thing, maybe you know, maybe you know, and I didn't pick up on it, but um, what was the word on Claybo sitting out for this weekend? Yeah, Claybo had a head cold last weekend that hit him just before Lillehammer. And he, he actually raced the sprint in Lillehammer with a head cold. He had a sore throat and still was able to win. Um, but he skipped both distance races. And so he skipped by the stolen because he was still struggling with this head cold. But it seems to have been better. So tomorrow, the number one best skier in the world that can ski because Bolshinov is also <laughs> one of the best men skiers in the world. Anyone that watched the Olympics last year would uh, obviously attest to that, but Claybo is going to Davos. So he will be in Davos. He's getting on the plane tomorrow. So the Claybo fans out there can look forward to some beautiful skate skiing from the best technician in the sport of cross-country skiing in the history of cross-country skiing. No one's ever skied more perfectly than Johannes Klebo. So he'll be with the troop. The Norwegian troop next weekend, and uh, the Norwegians that also skipped this weekend uh, in Bidestolen, Ingveld being one of them, uh, they will also be back with with the team in, in Davos. So it'll be uh, it'll be pretty fun to follow along, and and lots of like you said, super tight, super tight schedule this year with these three race weekends back to back to back to back. And you're from Alaska, and I live in Norway now. But a closing remark: How good does it feel to get off that plane, drive up? through Zurich to Davos and see the sun again with powder everywhere. And they're going to, they're not going to have powder, but they're going to have sun. So just, we're going to close with like you just describing how good that feels after the darkness and the beat down that is period one in Scandinavia. 
Oh yeah. It, it was amazing. I mean, you go to the darkest, darkest part of skinning, even to start the season, you know, you've got all those nerves, you start racing, you know, you know, you've got a long season ahead and there just is something about getting to Davos, getting that air. Um, and, and I, I'm a big holiday person. So of course you just come in and it's like, it's just got the Christmas feel to it. So those athletes, you know, they've put in the work, they, they deserve it. Um, I hope they appreciate it because, you know, now that I'm, uh, old and retired. And I don't get to just do that every, every uh, year. I'm definitely realizing what a, what a treasured experience that was. And, and those are really fun races coming up. You know, they get to put the classic skis away for a little bit, focus on skate. Um, it's always a great sprint atmosphere there. And uh, it'll be a 20 K skate uh, individual start. So that's going to be, uh, I think, uh, you know, if we can get the TV production, right. Uh, should be a pretty fun race to watch. So, yeah. So I hope everyone can channel their, uh, their Davos spirit this week. Um, find that sunlight wherever it is, however small it may be, and uh, find a good cup of hot chocolate or uh, espresso. Love it, Keegan. Keegan, always a pleasure. Thanks for chatting on such a heat bag production like this. We really appreciate it and have a wonderful Sunday and have a great holiday season. Have Merry Christmas. I guess we can say that now. We're in the, we're in the closing steps here. So Merry Christmas. And we're at two we'll- weeks, two weeks to go. Yeah, two weeks to go, and maybe we'll uh, get you back on the podcast to reminisce about our um, impending midlife crises as we we're going to turn forty here in a bit. I, I don't know. I, we're, we'll just leave it. Let, let, let's just enjoy Christmas first, and then we can we can circle the wagons back around and, and have a have a psychology session later. But thanks a lot for joining us, Keegan, and or joining me, and uh, have a great Sunday. Hi to Breck, and enjoy that great yeah, summer you got there. Well, and Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, it's really fun to to stay connected to the sport, see the see the athletes now, just giving their hearts out and um, getting to reminisce a little bit. So yeah, uh, Merry Christmas to all of you and your family and all the listeners out there. Uh, I think I love what you got going here. Thanks, Keith. Take care. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 